On today's episode of Locked on Canucks, we look at how this offseason can shape the Canucks franchise going forward for the next decade, per se. It's another day, another episode, and another edition of our Greatest Canucks series featuring a very prominent defenseman and a very prominent media member now in the hockey media landscape. And after Jerry Jones said he could sell the Dallas Cowboys for $10 billion, how much could Francesco Accolini sell the Vancouver Canucks if he truly wanted to? It's Locked On Canucks on a Tuesday, May the 17th, and it starts now. Your Locked On Canucks, your daily podcast on the Vancouver Canucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Locked On Canucks. I am your host, Justin Pooney. I hope you all are doing well today on this beautiful Tuesday, May the 17th. It is a wonderful day. Spring is in full effect. The summer is here. We are all in good moods. And I want to thank you for making Locked On Canucks your first listen of the day. We are free, most importantly, and of course, available wherever you get your podcast services. Today is an interesting episode. We're going to be projecting things in the future going forward with the Vancouver Canucks, talking about how this offseason is actually bigger than last year's when we all thought last year's offseason with the contracts of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes could really determine the vision and the forward thought of this franchise for the next decade. But in fact, it's actually this offseason. We're going to talk about one of the most fan-favorite defensemen in Canucks history, scored one of the biggest goals in Canucks history, and is now one of the biggest media members in Canucks history. And also, talk a bit about business. And what happens if Francesco Aquilini ever want to sell the Canucks? But first, let's go talk into this offseason and what there is to do. Of course, as I mentioned yesterday, there are rumors galore about JT Miller trades, Brock Besser contract extension, needing more sandpaper. After Jim Rutherford did an interview on a podcast with Jason Greger and Frank Saravelli. I talked about it yesterday about how, you know, the analytics, um, what to do, how I think it's the JT Miller trade negotiation trade talks are just a ploy. Um, when going on, like I said, I think JT Miller is going to stay in Vancouver. I don't know if it's going to be a six, five, six year deal. Cause if you look at Jim Rutherford's track record, he doesn't hand out these max deals in Pittsburgh. The mate is the three, four year deals. Same with Carolina, unless there's a true superstar at that point in time, like a Cam Ward, who was an elite goalie back in Carolina, a Eric Stahl. Remember, he didn't sign Malkin to those contract extensions, he didn't sign. Um, Sidney Crosby, those extensions. That was by Ray Sher in the previous regime, also Chris Letang. So it's interesting to see how it's going to be. Now, could the Canucks potentially offer Miller a you know a four-year deal for $32 million, $8 million per maybe? Remember, JT Miller is about to turn 30 years old. And you know, Jim Rutherford did say yesterday one of the things you have to be cognizant about, about giving a player going on to the age of 30 a longer-term deal is. A, when they're at that sweet spot, they want to cash in. They want to have security. They've earned that right. If they're at that level, they want to cash in and secure more money and kind of set themselves for that last big contract of their career. And when you look at JT Miller, that's exactly what he's probably trying to do. He probably wants, he just had a career, his career season and strike while the iron is hot. Cash in as much as you can. You cannot hate on him for that. Um, but also to think about winning. 
does he want to win? And will he be able to take a slight discount to play on a team in Vancouver, which I think has the potential to compete to be a contender. Now, I saw all these things online about, oh, would you be okay if they traded Miller and then acquired Philip Forsberg? Folks, Philip Forsberg is 27 years old. He's only a couple of years younger than JT Miller, and he's probably going to cost you more because he's going to go to unrestricted free agency. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's going to command at least $8.59 million, maybe even more. Somebody's going to offer Philip Forsberg a lot of money, and you think he's going to come play in Vancouver. Team's already cap-strapped. I don't see that happening. I don't see the Philip Forsberg pipe dream that people are putting out there. And also, to be quite frank with you, I'd rather have JT Miller than Philip Forsberg anyway. What has Philip Forsberg done in the playoffs? Uh, I just... I don't see, I know Philip Forsberg is a great player. You know, he's a, a very talented player, but I don't see him on the same level of a JT Miller. Look, when you look at the stats of Philip Forsberg, right, his this is past year, he had 84 points, 42 goals, 42 assists. JT Miller had 99 points. Right? So, again, he had, this was his quote, career high, 42 goals this year. And after that, he had a couple 30 goal years. And the rest of that, 28 goals. I, I don't see the hype of Philip Forsberg. Again, I don't think he's going to be a... I'd rather, quite frankly, have a JT Miller who I feel can do more than Philip Forsberg. So let's pump the brakes on that. Let's get Trade Miller and then bring in Forsberg, which to me, cancels each other out because you're going to spend money to keep Miller, but then trade him and get assets and still spend the same money to get Forsberg. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't understand it. I don't believe it. I don't think it would ever happen. So um, the Philip Forsberg rumors and pipe dreams that people around there are false. It's not going to work. But when you look at this offseason, how they figure out the Brock Besser contract situation where, you know, they said that they can, Rutherford said, we could qualify him at $7.5 million And it's a one-year $7.5 million deal. We're not that cap strap, but we can do that. So they can do that. They also have the club arbitration option as well, where they can go to arbitration and figure out where they may land on that if they can't come together on this discussed bridge deal that they're going to get, which I think, you know, Besser, 25-year-old, if he can get a two, three-year deal, get him to 27, 28, and then, again, by that time, hopefully the cap situation is in a bit better position where the Canucks can then have the chance of doing something further, or at that point in time, you can trade him at the deadline or just move him off for assets or whatnot. So there's options with Besser. It's look again with this on the Andre Kuzmenko does not sign. And I was reading about that again. Yes, the Canucks are still the finalists, but then I was also thinking that he can sign in Edmonton and be considered to play with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, um, which quite frankly probably is more attractive than playing in Vancouver. But again, Edmonton is cap strapped too. So we don't know what's going to go forward with that. But this offseason is critical. This offseason here, yes, there's no Pedersen contract. There's no Hughes contract. Remember last year, too, they had Travis Green that needed a new deal. So this offseason is bigger, in my opinion, because you have a new coach, you have a new regime, you have a new manager trying to put their own stamp on this franchise and build it in their direction, which is massive. And they have to do that. I said it a number of times. The organizational structure, the organizational goal from the top to bottom has to be there. And there has to be a way they want to play the structure that Jim Rutherford has talked about. Um, but your captain, Bo Horvat, is going to need a new deal, which I think is going to get done. I think that will be the easiest one because I think 
Horvat is the type of guy that who is the captain, the leader of this team, wants to be here, will get a deal done because he's a valuable piece, not only on the ice, but off. And he's a great leader, a great face of the organization. And he will stay here. Then we have the JT Miller thing, which becomes eligible July 13th for a contract extension that I just talked about. Who knows? I think he stays. I think they get a deal done. But potentially they could trade him at the draft, package him up with a 15th overall pick, maybe bump up to the second. You know, New Jersey apparently has the second pick available. Um, or maybe they trade down. If I was the Canucks, I would trade down. They don't have a second round pick. Trade down, acquire a later round first pick. Trust your scouting. Pick up a more picks later on in the draft. The more picks you have, the more value you get. You see it in the NFL all the time. Smart teams that can trade down picks, acquire more picks, gives you more lottery tickets, more chances for your scouting department to pick players and develop them. Now, again, it could be a crapshoot. You could be getting a good player, 15, uh, 15 that could step right in. From what I've read so far, I don't see um, any guy at 15 that's going to slot right in. It's kind of in that no man's land. So if I'm the Canucks in Rutherford, I'm going to trade down if possible um, and get more picks, get that second round pick, recoup a pick, you know, take a later, tw- a later round pick or whatever. Get more picks. That's my point. Um, that is going to help all these decisions that they have to make will set this franchise up for the next five to 10 years. You sign Horvat, you sign Besser, you sign Miller, then you're kind of locking yourself into this go for it method for the next, you know, however long, you know, the next four to five years, you're going to be going for it. If you don't, then you either determine yourself still going for it or you go in another direction. And that sets up the franchise where maybe there are no playoffs next year, which I predicted yesterday in my passionate speech about um, outdoor venue, outdoor viewing parties. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Canucks brain trust determines how they want to make decisions on this offseason, what their vision is. The way I see it shaking down is I'm a firm believer in being aggressive. If, if you want to make the playoffs and you want to be an elite team, you have to be aggressive. You have to take risks, high risk, high reward. Don't be like the Green Bay Packers who, you know, don't take risks and play it safe and haven't won a title since 2010. Look at the Los Angeles Rams. As much as I hate the Rams being a Seahawks fan, even the Seahawks were aggressive, aggressive, consistently going for it, going for it. If you don't go for if you, you can't, you can't blame the Seahawks for never trying to go for it. They acquired Jamal Adams. They acquired a guy like Carlos Dunlap. They made moves to make their team better and push for a Super Bowl. They didn't win it, but they, at least they tried. At least they were not trying to be mediocre. They were trying to push for something. So if I'm the Canucks and I'm running the Canucks, I'm being aggressive and trying to push my chips into the middle to make the playoffs and not just squeak into the playoffs, be a consistent playoff contender because you have young pieces that are going to want to win and you want to strike while the iron is hot while they're in their primes. So that is what how this offseason will kind of shake up. It is very important. Once we get to September and we see how this Canucks team is structured, we're going to get a great indication over the summer about how this team is going to be going forward for the next five years. And remember, they're updating Rogers Arena. They're going to get a practice arena. They're, you know, they have got Bruce. There's a lot of things going on in this organization. You're going to want to, they're spending money. You're going to want to make the playoffs to recoup that free money back. As I talked about, it's a business. Francesco Aquilini is spending all this money to upgrade the facilities and all this stuff. But he also 
wants to make the playoffs so he can recoup some of that money back. He could keep that money line in his pocket. So that is what I'm saying. That is what's interesting to me about what's cooking on the Canucks and how this offseason is very, very crucial um, for the future of this franchise. And I think it's bigger than last year. It's definitely bigger than last year because there's so many more difficult decisions to make. And they're stuck in a spot where you're kind of hand-tied with the cap stru- cap structure of the team. You don't really have all the pieces. You're kind of in an interesting division. So, like I said, the pressure is now on. The clock's on Jim Rutherford, and it's time for him to push forward. Um, but coming up after the break, we're going to dive into our greatest Canucks series where we talk about the guy who was a fan favorite, wasn't afraid to drop the mitts, scored some big goals, talked a big game, and now talks a big game on Hockey Night in Canada. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it is Kevin Bieksa. But first, we are going to talk about Built. Imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and imagining there's only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That's what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. I just received my birthday cake puffs, and I've never had anything like it before. They're available right now. I cannot promise that they will be there tomorrow because people are buying them up. And if you haven't tried the puffs yet, let me know a little secret because we're all friends, and that's what friends do. A chocolate-covered marshmallow protein bar. Yes, you heard me. A delicious-flavored chocolate-covered marshmallow in 100% real chocolate. Make every day your birthday with Built Built. Built birthday cake puffs. Built has taken delicious experience of biting into a fresh slice of birthday cake, enrobed it with 100% white chocolate, and added sprinkles with 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, and only 9 grams of sugar. Lemon time flavor is an amazing option if you're looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. All built puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. And they're made of collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Go to built.com and get birthday cake puffs now. That's go to built.com. Use promo code locked15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked15 to get 15% off your order. Okay. So we are back. Greatest Canucks series. Another member of the greatest era of Canucks history, in my personal opinion. We are going to talk about the defense and another member of that Manitoba Moose roster that kind of came up. Through the del- through the, the ranks and we eventually became the core of the Vancouver Canucks. We're of course talking about Kevin Bieksa. Now, some of you might not know Kevin Bieksa was a Canucks defense stalwart. He is now a stalwart on the Hockey Night in Canada panel. He grew up in Grimsby, British, not Grimsby, British Columbia, Grimsby, Ontario. Was drafted by Don Cherry in the Mississauga Ice Dogs, who iconically said his name Bieska wrong for years. He, following his college career at Bowling Green, he signed a trial contract with the Manitoba Moose. And a very interesting story. Brian Burke once told a story that there was an off-ice incident with former teammate and Canucks draft pick, not Sergei Fedorov, but Fedor Fedorov, where they went out, Bieksa spit spilled Fedorov's beer, offered to buy him one, but Fedorov chomped to a fight, and Bieksa one-punched, knocked him out, and then Burke wanted to sign him the next day. He would kind of toil in the minors. And then after that, he became an absolute stalwart on the Canucks. Playing, I guess he played 39 games in 05-06. But then made his stamp in 2006-2007. Where he played 81 games. Had 42 points. 134 penalty minutes. Not afraid to drop the gloves. All those battles he had. That's when he formed the pairing with Willie Mitchell. 
remember Willie Mitchell with a super long stick. Bieksa, you know, Willie Mitchell was that stay-at-home guy, which allowed Bieksa to jump up in the rush, where he was able to lead the Canucks defense in scoring in 06-07. You know, he was a great fighter, very tough. I remember he beat the living daylights out of Ben Eager. And, you know, him, you know, he was a leader. He was praised amongst. But I think the best thing was Bieksa, Kessler, Burroughs. Those three were known as one of the most agitating, fierce competitors in the NHL. They were the driving forces of that team. They were the spiritual and emotional leaders of those Canucks back in 2010, 2011, 2000, sorry, 2009, 10, 11, and 12. Um, he was just the, the voice. Whenever, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but of course you want to hear from the Sedins, but I always want to hear what Kevin Bx had to say because he would put it in a perspective in a way that wasn't a cliche. He would tell you how it was and he would say things and it would make sense. And also, one thing with Kevin Bx said that I have to talk about was um, his work in the community, especially with mental health. Um, of course, he was very, very close with former Canuck, rest in peace to Rick Rippon, who committed suicide back in 2011 after years of clinical depression. Um, the whole hockey is for all, the hockey fights mental health initiative that he was helped a part of that made it so important to discuss. Um, it was amazing in, the, in what he was able to do um, on that aspect of it. And now he's doing great things in the media. I Honestly, I'm not a big hockey head in Canada guy. Um, I find the coverage kind of blasé and all of that. But I love Kevin Bieksa on the panel. I think he's very insightful, very... Um, witty with his wording and he's able to convey a message and explain things from a player's point of view, but also make it entertaining, which as a viewer for me is the best part. If it's entertaining, I'm going to tune in, but let's go back to BX's playing career. Um, on the ice, he wasn't the most skilled. He wasn't the most, he wasn't the fastest. He didn't have the best pass, but what he was, he was a battler and a fighter. And when you think about the, I know I talked about Alex yesterday. What did I say? One of the best, stories of hard work, dedication, perseverance. Kevin Bieksa was the same. When you look at those Canucks teams, right? Yes, the Sedins were, you know, top picks, two and three overall in the draft, but it took them years of hard work to develop. It took Bieksa, Kessler, Burroughs, Raymond, Hansen, years in the minor leagues building their way up to become stalwarts of the organization. And you're kind of seeing that right now with this Canucks franchise where this core has been together for a few years and they had some early success, but, you know, they're still kind of figuring it out, figuring it out. And I think the most impressive thing about that core of Canucks hockey was they grew up together. They were all friends. Um, and I think that's what made that team so special. You saw in media interviews, BX joking with Roberto Luongo in the media or Ryan Kessler, Alex Burroughs. You saw just that togetherness. And that, that that team was very close, um, which makes it even harder that they didn't win because they were such a tight-bonded team and they were all friends and grew up together. Um, and it was tough to see. But going back to Bieksa, you know, scored 40 points um, three times in his career as the Can with the Canucks. Was scored the goal in Game 5 against San Jose in the Western Conference Finals, the stanchion goal where... It was one of the weirdest bounces, and you kind of fanned on it, and it fluttered in past Anti New in Niemi. But when it went in, nobody really knew what happened. I know where I, I was sitting at home. It was me, 
my mom, my dad. No, excuse me. It was me and my dad and my younger sister. We were sitting there in our family room, and we just went wild. Started celebrating. We didn't even know what the goal counter or not, but we just went wild. Kadok scored in the Stanley Cup final. Ran out on the streets. Everything. Um, to me, those were great moments. Bieksa standing up for his teammates, fighting Ben Eager. Um, you know, he was a beast in that San Jose series. He scored important goals. He, you know, fought, stuck up for people. And he was a leader. And he got paid afterwards when he did. But he also battled back from injuries. He ruptured. He got sliced on his Achilles back in 2009. It was very diff- difficult injury to come back. Missed three and a half months and came back and was still able to be effective. And he was, he wanted to, he was one of those guys that wanted to stay in Vancouver. Now, he eventually left after that 2015 um, series against the Flames where Michael Furlan kind of bull rushed the Canucks and kind of put them out of commission. But I will always remember Kevin Bieksa as a great Vancouver Canuck, a great leader, a great member of the community, a great member of the Canucks franchise. Um, and just one of those guys, again, that was a tough-nosed guy, a battler, fought, worked hard, a fierce competitor. And that is why Kevin Bieksa, in my opinion, Eventually, we'll have his name in the ring of honor um, over time. I believe he absolutely does. Um, just because he's just a fan favorite and an in- integral leader part of the greatest era of Canucks franchise. Um, so that is that for our greatest Canucks series for today. Tomorrow, we will have a new member. And we will have a new player. I've kind of debated on who we're going to talk about. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be exciting. It's definitely going to be we're getting to more of the bigger name players. So uh, you're going to want to stick around for that. Um, but coming up after the break, Jerry Jones had something interesting to say. Now you might be saying, well, Justin, Jerry Jones is the Dallas Cowboys owner, but we can cross things over here and we're going to get into the business side of things. So stick around for that. But first I want to say thank you for making Locked On Canucks your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out Locked On Now podcast, nightly recaps of every NHL game with analysis from our local experts. It's free and if ever you get your podcast. Also, Bet our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Okay, so Dallas Cowboys owner. Jerry Jones, probably the smartest marketer in professional sports, in my personal opinion. Um, Jerry Jones was on a podcast with Peter King, esteemed football writer Peter King, and said that they're talking about the Denver Broncos potentially going for $5 billion, $4.5 billion, uh, as they're up for sale. And Jerry Jones said, look, I could sell the Dallas Cowboys for $10 billion. $10 billion. And then, of course, the Cowboys are the most valued franchise in the world. Um, so that makes sense. But I thought we'd bring it to the Canucks point of view. Because, of course, we are locked on Canucks, the show that keeps you locked in on all things Vancouver Canucks. So it got me thinking, if Francesco Aquilini one day decided, hey, I want to sell the Vancouver Canucks. I don't want them anymore. I want to put them up on the block. How much could Francesco Aquilini get for the Vancouver Canucks? Now, when we look at the Forbes valuation of the Vancouver Canucks, they are number 14. They're worth $825 million. The Rangers are, of course, number one at $2 billion. And then 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, sorry. The Rangers for this uh, valued at two billion. Then it's the Leafs, Canadians, Blackhawks, and Bruins. The Oilers actually at the last valuations um, doubled from five hundred fifty million valuation of one point one billion. Uh, that is what Connor McDavid uh, and a new arena at Rogers uh, Rogers place can do for you. Um, the team, the Canucks, of course, had the smallest increase. Um, but when you look at the list, so I'll go through the list, the top uh, 14, okay? So we have the Rangers at $2 billion, We have the Leafs at $1.8 billion, The Canadians at $1.6. The Blackhawks at $1.4. The Bruins at $1.3. The Flyers at $1.2. The Oilers at $1.1. The Kings at $1.03. Those are the ones in the billion category. The top, you know, eight teams. Then the Red Wings are at 990, uh, the Islanders at 950, Washington at 930, Pittsburgh's at 900, the Kraken are at 875, and then there's the Canucks at 825. So it got me thinking. Now, if Francesco Aquilini wanted to sell the Vancouver Canucks, how much could they go for? Not just the valuation. I think he could get a lot more. I think if Francesco Aquilini decided he wanted to sell the Vancouver Canucks, he could get well over $1.5 billion. Because why? Why, you ask? Well, own the arena and own and operate the arena that they play in. So all the concerts, shows, uh, other events at our arena, Francesco Aquilini gets his cut of that because he owns the building. He owns the land around the building, the townhouses, the condo buildings, all of that. Vancouver is a very... It's an exploding market. It gave it to the Pacific. Um, an exploding market on the financial sector with, you know, all of what's going on um, in the Pacific Gateway with Asia and stuff like that. We know all the immigration from Asia that are coming to Vancouver. Um, it's, it's an exploding market. The most expensive place to live in North America, right? It's one of the best place to live in North America. So when I look at the Canucks and I look at how much they can sell for if Francesco wanted to sell the team, he could sell for $1.5 billion. Now, remember, he bought the Canucks a long time ago now, back in 2005, for $207 million. Now it is now worth $825 million. So he's basically four times his amount of money. And if he were to sell it, he'd be making way more money. Now, I don't think he's going to sell it because, let's face it, it's a status symbol for these only have a sports franchise. And the valuation is going to keep them going up and up and up because the TV contracts are going to get bigger. There's going to be more revenue with sports betting now. And it just makes sense to hold on to a team. And he's not going to ever sell them unless he just decides, I don't want it anymore. And it's too much of a headache and they're never going to win and I'm going to get rid of it. But I don't see that ever happening. So I just want to talk about that. Jerry Jones said the Cowboys can go for $10 billion. I think the Canucks can go for over a billion because they play in a very desired market. They own the building. And the way NHL franchise valuations are going up and up and up and up and up, it just makes sense. The Canucks will eventually be worth a billion, and they can probably sell for over a billion dollars. So that's my little business talk for the day today. I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Canucks your first listen of the day. For your second listen of the day, tune in to the guys at Locked On NHL. From the first round matchups to each Stanley Cup kiss, Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Here's the late news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. It's 
and available wherever you get your podcast services. Guys, take care.